Welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Ruth Browning. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. exciting, isn't it? Paul said, the law is holy and the commandment holy, just and good. He said that in Romans 7. So it's very New Testament to look at the Old Testament commandments. Paul Paul did. Now, as you know, my beloved husband is on long service leave. I am not joining him for a while because I couldn't fathom the concept of going on long service leave for 10 weeks. I didn't feel like I needed it, so I'm just going to hang around <laughs> for a while. I have got to be away a couple of Sundays because I'm preaching in other churches. But um, but he's on long service leave, and uh, the very first day he was on long service leave, he went for a motorbike ride with some mates, Tim, I believe, and some others. And, um, and you know, amazingly, I did not have to remind him to go on that motorbike ride. Yeah, I, he just, he, he just, well, he had it all planned, I think, and he just woke up and he was up and at him on that ride. And um, I, I, didn't ever, I didn't write a list for him of fun things to do when you're on long service leave. I didn't even do the list. Never got around to the list. Um, he actually wanted to do it. And so he did. And even though it required a little bit of effort, he doesn't want to lie around in bed. That is not my husband. Oh, no, no, no. So it requires a little bit of effort. But because he loves to go motorbike riding, it was easy because it was in his heart. And I have to say, the motorbikes have been in his heart for certainly as long as I've known him. Probably at the age of seven when his dad put a motorbike under the Christmas tree. That would do it for any boy, wouldn't it? So, yeah. (laughs) So... In Jeremiah 31, 33, the Bible says this, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then in Ezekiel eleven nineteen to 20, I will put a new spirit in them and take out the stony heart and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So I just wanted to introduce today to remind us all as we study the law that we're not under the law. We're not under it. Jesus has actually done something amazing. He's put us inside us. We are not required to obey the law, just as Chris is not required to ride motorbikes. We want to obey the law. It's in our hearts. And we want to obey the law because, as Paul said, it's holy. It's good. It's just. So Jesus delivered us from our sin and he has moved us into this age of grace. And the wonderful thing about grace is not that we ignore the law and go, oh, now we can do what we want. It's that, oh, there's the law. How awesome. Now I can do it because I want to. So that's the exciting thing, that we are even more eager 
to obey the law. We're even more eager to understand how does Leviticus relate to me today? I'm reading Leviticus too, Les. It's fun. How does it relate? What does the tabernacle mean? It's all being completed in Christ. It's so exciting. The law becomes even more exciting for us. And it says then there in um, Romans 6.15, shall we sin because we're not under the law? By no means. And he goes on in verse 18, says, you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. In other words, we just want to do it. We, we're almost compelled to obey because we like obeying. Obeying is much more fun than disobeying. Obeying is satisfying. We feel ourselves. We, we, we're committed to doing what God wants us to do. So it's really important for us to understand that as we study the law. I don't want it to be a sort of a, okay, I won't do that. I won't do this. I won't do that. It's like, oh, as we look at the commandments, it's a reminder. Oh, that's right. Yeah, sometimes we need a little bit of a reminder. Oh, that's right. That's no, that is not me. I don't, I don't do that. I don't want to do it. I want to obey. So with that in mind, we are looking at the second commandment. The second commandment. So let's read the second commandment together. Exodus chapter 20, four to six. So obviously last week we looked at the first commandment. If you missed that, the second commandment overlaps a little. You will not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or in the waters below and you shall not bow down to this image or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So, this is all about idolatry. No idols. So, commandment one, no other gods before me. Commandment two, no idols at all. The whole basis of idolatry is a lie. There is only one God. So, if you try to create anything else in the place of God, that's a lie. Only God is worthy of our worship and sacrifice, the one true God. Only he can set us free, save us and make us complete. So nothing else will fulfill or complete us. In fact, all idols enslave us. They make us a slave. They steal from us. They steal our energy, our time. They steal our worship. They're false. They eventually destroy us. Psalm 115 verse 8, those who make idols will be like them and so will all who trust in them. So if you make an idol or trust in it, you become like the thing that you are worshipping and as we shall see, that is not good. So I'm just going to run through a whole bunch of idols and we're just going to check off the list. Okay, let's start with actual statues that other religions make, with little false gods. And um, Sudi talked about this in Bali, how she grew up not liking all the little gods that she had to worship and how it was exhausting and, and it cost them a lot of money. And she was like, do we really have to do all this? Like, what's the point? And where's the connection? Because there is no connection. At worst, you're worshipping literally a piece of wood, which is kind of stupid if you think about it. Or 
even worse, in some ways, you know, some demon attaches itself to it and there's, there's devils involved. So it's very, very unhealthy. And, you know, when we <clears throat> went to Bali, they were just everywhere and, you know, we've seen it in other countries and it's, it's awful, 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 awful to see people, you know, I just watched them out of a hotel room once in Bali and just, just watched the, the effort and the little bits and pieces and putting it there in front of this piece of wood or stone and I'm just like, no, <laughs> I cannot bless you. I cannot bless you. You are, you, are so much, you are so much greater than that than to worship a piece of, piece of stone. How absolutely tragic. And as it said, you will become like those things you worship. So no wonder some of these countries are trapped in poverty and despair because the, a wooden idol or a stone idol is dumb. It can't see and it can't speak. So you are becoming someone who loses wisdom, someone who loses your perception, someone who loses your ability to hear true wisdom. And if you've got a whole nation doing that, we can see the consequences of that. It's very sad. So... I don't think many of you have that issue, praise God. But no Christian idols either. Sometimes we create images or statues of our, our God, the Christian God. And we see this sometimes that people get caught up in worshipping the Christian God as such by making statues of him and, you know, people with weeping hands and special crosses and special places that are like, this is the place. If you go to this place, you will be healed because it's the special place. And this can be a form of Christian idolatry. And God is, is also saying, no, no, I don't want any of that either because God is spiritual. And we need to make sure that we have a spiritual understanding of him. And any image that we make of God is going to be so ridiculously less than God himself that it becomes a lie. It becomes a lie. It, it, it doesn't help. You know, you go to some of these countries and you see the, the fabulous churches and there's nothing wrong with building a nice church or having nice statues. Art is not wrong, but worshipping art is wrong. Or, or putting any sort of significance. Like, you know, there's a, I think in St. Peter's, there's a, one of those statues and you just touch the foot, you know. And I don't, know, I don't know why, but the foot's worn out on this particular statue because of all the pilgrims that touch the foot so they get some kind of blessing. You don't get a blessing by touching a piece of stone. You get a blessing from the, from the living God. He's alive. He doesn't want us to get blessed by a piece of stone. He wants to bless us. Can you even fathom if I got a little statue of Chris while he's away and I just touch the statue and then he comes say, hi, honey. I'm like, I've got my piece of Chris. I've got my little photo, I've got my little thing. He's like, okay, babe, but like, I'm here now. It's like, no, no, this is my stone. You know, it's like, it's so ridiculous and yet we do it. And, you know, God even goes so far as to call it adultery because if you can worship, if, I mean, if I've got the real Chris, I don't spend my life looking at photos and images of him. And we have the real God. So let's be sure that our... We're not, we don't become superstitious about anything. Liberal Christians can do this as well because what they do is create God in their mind. They, they're too sophisticated to have stones or statues, but they say, oh no, because God's not like that, he's like this. So they create God. 
They create an idol, an image of God, that God is very tolerant and God likes this and like that, and then they worship that God. That is idolatry. The only God we worship is the true God as he is in the word of God. And if you create an image of God, even if you think you're too sophisticated in the West to actually, you know, make a statue, but if you make that statue in your mind and it becomes a mental statue, I think God is like this. And someone says, well, it doesn't say that in the word of God. Yeah, well, that's wrong. This is the way I think God is. That's an idol. You just haven't bothered to put it down in wood or stone. But that's an idol. And, you know, just carrying on. (laughs) I mean, we've got to be careful even in our tradition, you know, that some people might idolise their pastor or, I mean, not that that we have that problem in our church, (laughs) I don't think. (laughs) But, you know, you can see it sometimes. Like, I've heard worship pastors talk about it, you know, that, that it's like some worship pastors say, you know, that, some people are just like, I want to get on stage and I want, to, I want to be in the band or I want to... We can sort of... These are Christian things and they're good things. But if they become too important to us and if they replace God in our desire, in, an, in our adoration, then it can become an idol as well. So we need to be careful of any kind of religious idol. So let's just run through a few more. Um, nationalism, politics can become an idol. I mean, I literally saw this when we went to Russia. You know, they, they still had all of the statues around the place of Lenin and, you know, in China. They absolutely worship some of these guys. They set themselves up as idols. Mao Zedong, absolutely. Saw this horrible documentary uh, one, about the one child nation in China and um, all these poor old family planners who were discussing what they had to do to create that dreadful situation. And... And they were just, a lot of them were really broken about it. Because even though the party told them it was right, deep down they knew what they were doing was not right. In fact, one lady runs a fertility clinic now. And she has, this, she has all the photos of the babies that she's helped to be birthed now. She says, every time I birth a baby, it makes me feel like maybe, just maybe I can make up for all those babies. Because they, you know, it was really bad what happened in China. So, um, but a lot of them would say with broken faces, you know, well, you know, the party said to do it, so we had to obey because, you know, the party says to do something, it's, it's right. It's just the party. You have to do it. It's, they didn't even sort of necessarily say it was wrong. They just said, we didn't like doing it, but the party said to do it. So that's idolatry. That's idolatry of the party, of your government. So, and let's not just say that's over in communist countries because there are whole churches in the United States where you can only vote for Trump. And if you vote for, if you vote a Democrat, you're out. And that is wrong. I'm sorry, but there's no way that is right. You can have a whole church. I hope that in this church we have a variety of different political opinions because you know what? That's not our focus. Our focus is Jesus. And so I know that because I've got some American friends. And then there's the opposite as well. There's like the Biden churches and the Trump churches. I mean, please, these guys are not our saviours. Jesus is our saviour. I mean, (laughs) they really are not. (laughs) But, you know, in some places in America, if you vote for the wrong guy, even if you're two Christians, there's no fellowship between you. That's idolatry. I'm sorry, but that is wrong. Because if we love Jesus, these differences are not, they're not major. They really shouldn't be so major. Other people idolise fame, you know. Um, it's, it's always sad. Isn't it sad when someone goes on one of those shows, 
literally called Australian Idol. I mean, we literally have taken the word and said, oh, it's so cute. You can be an idol. It's like, okay, whatever. Like, destroy the language, but what? Um, and, and then we find out that someone wins or something and they're a Christian. You know, they find out they went, they went to church. They're a Christian. And all the Christians are like, yay, one of us is a Christian. And then you gradually watch their career and you see them compromise, 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 compromise. You go, well, I don't know where they're at. And why is that? They compromise their values to fit in with society, to maintain their fame. So that's an idolatry of fame. That's idolatry of, of fame. That's, they water down their faith or even apostatize themselves in order to maintain their validation and their social connection. And let's not just put it up to those famous ones. We can do it too. Do we soften up our faith so we get more likes? Do we make sure that our Instagram profile is not too religious? You know, so that we're more popular because there's an idol of fame. And look, I think the way it works sometimes is, especially for us Christians, because, you know, I'm not... I'm not talking to people in China or, or Indonesia. I'm talking to us. So what, how is it relevant to us? I think, you know, we, we love God and we know he is number one. But what we've got to be careful of isn't it's just not some little room hidden in our heart with our little idols. Because sometimes if you visit these homes overseas, you know, they have their little, you go, oh, there's the idol room, you know. Let's shut that door. Let's make sure that we don't have those doors in our hearts, that little room where you can... You know, you just have that, oh, oh, I love God, I'm a Christian, but I just have this little spot in my life where I need to, I need to have that because that's important to me. Environment, nature. <laughs> so when I was at uni, I uh, had a friend who was a fully-fledged greenie and um, I was visiting his family one day. He asked me over to his home and he was preaching to me about saving the planet. And I was kind of interested. I thought, yeah, okay, what's, what's your deal? What, what, what have you got to say? So he told me all about saving the planet. And at that time, I don't know if you remember, but it was the Franklin Dam, saving the Franklin Dam, which, you know, I've been to the Franklin River. I think it's probably quite a good thing, actually. I, I rather like the Franklin River, so okay. Uh, but then his other big issue at that time, this is back in the 80s, was the um, population problem. He was like, I mean, we have got to stop having kids. We've got, you know, we, I, I don't think I'll have children. And I was like, oh, it's quite, <laughs> really? Do we have to believe that to be a greenie? It was like, yeah. And I looked at some of the things that he believed and that was said then. Um, it was, it's everywhere. It's all over the internet. You go back to the 70s and 80s about population control. Um, one famous university professor said, demographers agree unanimously on the following Grim timetable. By 1975, widespread famines will begin in India. These will spread by 1990 to include all of Pakistan, China and Africa. By the year 2000, the entire world, with the exception of Europe, North America and Australia, will be in famine. So everybody in the whole world will be starving except us. But guess what? Because we're not starving, we will be invaded. And so there will be wars in those countries because everyone will come here to get our food. So it was pretty grim. And I remember this, I used to listen to this stuff go, oh. and I read, you know, Future Shock and all that. It was just, I remember seeing the graph so well. I remember being frightened by this graph and it showed the population, like that. And then it showed food, um, 
food production. And it went like this. And there was this major gap. And I was like, uh, you know, I'm still at uni, still maybe thought some of these professors had something to say. And I was just like, that's a bit scary. We're like, what, what's the deal? I went, I just went, oh, well, I don't know. I'm a Christian. I just trust God, you know. So, you know, there's, there's so much fear. And these religions, that's what I'm saying, they steal from you. Like, I didn't get into it that much. I kind of, I don't know, I felt a little bit concerned for a little bit and then just got into Jesus and thought, oh, he'll work it out. <laughs> I don't know. And now I'm just like, every time they say stuff like that, I'm like, yeah, whatever, heard all that. God went, did all that when we were young. They don't know what's going to happen because God is in control. And we need to be careful that we don't idolize controlling the population or the, or the, or the environment when we have literally no idea how it's all going to work out. I mean, they never have had any idea. They're just as wrong now as they were then. Then later on, they said, they said by, the, by 85, 1985, we'll all be having to wear gas masks because the pollution will be so bad. Like, they just said, well, the pollu- it's just going up and up. Think, you know, so what happens is idolatry leads to fear. And again, we are, we, it steals from us because we are frightened. And so a lot of people, who, you know, in this environmental area or politics or whatever, they're very passionate and genuine about what they believe because they're frightened. They're frightened. And I think sometimes an idol is anything we fear more than God. People are more frightened of having to, you know, not be able to breathe by 1985 than they were about seeking God who's the one who looks after our air. He's got it all in hand. So idolatry will steal from you and rob from you and it, it's, it doesn't have any answers anyway. Idols of success, career, money, you know, I mean, we've, we've kind of heard this, but you can neglect your family. You can put yourself into debt because you want to have the right house or the right place and that's a form of idolatry. We can basically carve idols out of anything in our life, anything at all. This is what uh, J. John says, idolatry is something or anything that takes the central place of God in our life. So listen to this. He, he has these statements, and I want you to think over these statements and imagine that you could put something else in the place of God. God gives purpose and meaning and fulfillment to my life. Not my job, not my art, not my God. God governs the way I act. God is the focal point of my life, not even my children. God. God is often in my thoughts. I'm so enthusiastic about God. Not just motorbike riding. Or, I mean, it's not, these things are not wrong, but you get my point. It's the focus. It's number one because nothing comes before God. No idols. This is the thing. God comforts me when I'm down. Not Netflix, not chocolate, not alcohol, not whatever. God, God, God. I read about God. I talk about God. I make friends with others who are committed to God. I desire God more than anyone or anything. That is the way it's meant to be. Anything else is idolatry. And John said in 1 John 5, 21, my little children, keep yourself from idols. He knew it was dangerous. He was writing to Christians. 
He understood that we can sometimes think, oh, I don't do that. I don't have any statues in my house. But it's very easy for something to take the place of God and for us to focus on it. We might think we're too sophisticated to bow down and worship it. But if we are sacrificing our time and our energy and putting our focus on it, it could be an idol. So we need to be careful of that. Now, it goes even deeper. It just keeps going and going. Listen to 1 Samuel 15, 22. To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is an iniquity and idolatry. You have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you from being king. Interesting. To be stubborn and unteachable is to make an idol of yourself. Your clever brain. Oh, no, I don't have to listen to you. Like, I think I've got this figured out. Or, you know, I, I, no, 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 no. Don't, don't. He says stubbornness is at, like idolatry. It's putting yourself above the word of God or above God's messenger that he sent to you to love you. John Piper says, a stubborn person makes idols of his own opinions and that is a form of idolatry. So to be unteachable, stubborn and proud is idolizing your own opinion and your own wisdom. So that's an interesting one too, isn't it? We need to be humble before God and not assume that our little brain has it all figured out. And if God wants to teach us something, let it rip. Let me learn. Let me hear. I find it so incredibly sad when Christians are unteachable. I, it's, it just bothers me so much when there's opportunity to grow and learn and we don't take it. When there's wisdom in front of you and I sometimes I just offer a little bit here and it's like, no, no, Ruth, you, you, no, you, what, you don't understand it. What you don't realise, it, and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. I'm not pushing it down your throat. If you don't want to listen, that's fine. But why wouldn't you want to listen? Why don't we all want to grow? We want to change. Here's another one. Colossians 3, 5. Put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. There's another form of covetousness. It's greed. It's wanting things. It's, it's obsessing about I, whatever you covet. I don't know. Everyone covets different things, as in you really want something, lusting after. It's like, I just want that. Whether it's something you want every single day or whether it's just you're just aiming so much for something that it becomes, it's like, can you let it go? Can you just give it to God? In fact, even anything that we own, can you give it up? Can you just go, here you go, I'll let it go. Because if we grab on too tight, maybe it's because it's greed. <clears throat> Maybe it's, a bit, it's, it's that form of covetousness, which is idolatry. Everything in our life we hold loosely. And all these areas of our life, they're good things. It's good to look after the environment. It's good to be interested in politics. It's, it's fine to go on Instagram, get a few likes. And of course, you know, you might feel happy if you get a few more. That's okay. A lot of these things are great, really. But they don't, they're not our focal point. And what we do with each one of these areas is we give it to God. We give it to God. We say, you know what, God, I'm doing this for you. This is yours. And, and so help me to make it for you. We, we, we put out, we, you, you come and be a part of this. You be Lord of this part of my life. 
And then we know that it's for him. It's not for us. It's not idolatry. So I love the story of my friend, Sherilyn, who, when she was in California, was asked to speak to a group of ladies in their home. And I think it was actually not even a particularly Christian talk. It was about Christian businesswomen or something like that. So she went into this home and she was just standing there uh, in the living room. And it just so happened that on the mantelpiece behind her, there was just an idol that someone had brought home from overseas, as you do. By the way, can you just make sure that you don't? Like, <laughs> like don't, if you don't know the spiritual nature of what you're buying, don't buy it. Do not bring it into your house. If you don't know, if it's a book with weird stuff in it, if it's, just don't have it. Don't, don't have idols. <laughs> I see people, they just go, oh, it's so cute. We bought it in so and so. I'm like, like, that is a false god. Like, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to be religious here, but why would you have that in your home? But anyway, this person had it in their home and it was just sitting on the mantelpiece happily there. So Sherilyn said she was um, talking about business, but, you know, she's just a full-on Christian. So she had to sort of witness a bit and say, well, you know, you need to know, of course, that I'm a Christian. So I come from this, from this perspective. She said something about being a Christian, something about Jesus. And she said, she said, Ruth, it was the weirdest thing. I'm standing there. Everyone's there. We're all dead still. No one's moving. The idol on the mantelpiece just went, fell on the ground and there was a kind of a bit of tiles below and smashed and everyone is just like what was that because it wasn't like there was an earthquake or anything there was no reason she didn't touch no one was moving it's just the idol just went and she was like oh and everyone's like oh it was just this really shocking thing. And then we, I just thought it was a cool. We just, I said, Joe, that's so cool. It just didn't like the name of Jesus. She says, I know. I know. It's a great opportunity. Later, she, I don't know how she managed it in the speech, but <laughs> they probably just cleaned it up. But, um, you know, she shared about it. But here's the thing. Idols will fall. Idols will fall because it's a lie. Idols will fall. And remember what I said If you follow an idol, you become like it. And I didn't say it in Psalms. So if you're following an idol, idols will fall. You'll fall too. And I'm now at the age where I see that. Where my friends or people that have had a little idol in that little room that they idolized. Yeah, it's not pretty once you get to about 60. Things start to get messy in the very area. In the very area that they didn't offer to God. In the very area that they set aside and said, this is just... This is just my little spot, God, like I need this spot. That's the area where their life starts to fall apart, where they have some significant issues. And God is very gracious and they can turn to God and he is a good God and he can rescue from those areas. But just start right now and clean up. No idols. Praise God. Now, just a couple of points as we come to a close. You may... Um, right, I'm putting that up there. I mean, I don't even know what to say. (laughs) Okay. Right, that's a little random, wasn't it? (laughs) This is just art. And (laughs) thank you to our artists for their little subliminal message of, you know, commandment one and commandment two, which by the way, will stand forever, but not quite sure. (laughs) Okay. We'll, we'll, 
we'll figure that one out later. <laughs> I mean, if it was like an idol that fell down, but like that's, okay. <laughs> right, so Exodus 20 and verse 5 says, and you might have picked this up, I'm just kind of going, eh, that's one of those scriptures. I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So this is connected to idolatry and it sounds, it's one of those verses that sounds a little severe. You know, you're like, oh, okay. Um, children are punished for the third and fourth generation. Whenever you read a verse that sounds a little severe, always remember that God is very loving and he's very fair. And sometimes we have to look at the entire picture of the word of God to understand these things. So God is very jealous and he wants us to love him. It offends him when we ignore him, even for a brief time or even with our little mini idol. He wants us to love him because he loves us and he wants the best for us and he wants us to know how wonderful it is to have a loving relationship with him. He doesn't want us to miss out. He's not like mean, like kind of, you've got to love me or else. It's more like, love me if you only understood, if you only knew. He says, no, 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 you're not allowed any of that. You've got to love me because he wants it for us. Because when we love him first, our life is so blessed. And so he adds this. And what he's saying is this, if you don't love me, if you don't put me first, it's not just going to affect you, it's going to affect your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Because most parents hate the thought of that. They hate the thought of their own children and grandchildren being affected. And it does. Once again, I see this. I see areas that weren't right in people when they were young and I see it impacting their children profoundly and it's so sad now, I'm not saying everything that everything your children does wrong is your fault okay because that that's brutal <laughs> Jesus had Judas okay yeah he, Jesus was perfect so it's not that but but it certainly does impact them if we have sinned once again God is gracious and loving but it will impact our children so we must we must make sure you know spiritual genetics is real the, the scientific world gets confused because they say, well, how come, you know, the parents, the, the children, the grandchildren, they're all got the same issue, that, but it doesn't seem to be physical. It must be physical, they say. It must be. It's spiritual. You catch it. So as parents, we want to make sure that we're dealing with our issues just for the sake of our children. But know this, know this, that any child of a parent who has sinned is able to be free from that sin. We are not bound by that we're not it's not like oh no my parents sinned so I'm going to be punished because in Ezekiel 18 20 he speaks he says the soul who sins shall die the son shall not bear the guilt of the father nor the father the guilt of the son so that's encouraging dads if you think your kids have missed it you don't bear their guilt but kids you don't have to bear the guilt of your parent you can be set free if your parent was an alcoholic you don't have to be an alcoholic if your parent was you know, a, a criminal, you don't have to follow after that path. You, he says, the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wickedness shall be upon himself. So that's just showing us that God is very fair. And for those who have broken free from what their parents did wrong and started again, God has grace and says, great, let's start a new generation. But, but it is, there is a danger for some, parent, for some children to follow the ways of their parents. So he's saying, 
don't do that. <laughs> Set the right example and it make you make it a lot easier for your children. But in any case, God is fair either way. But if the parents don't repent and the children don't repent and they follow in those footsteps, you just see the same issues coming through families over and over again. However, we finish on showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Wow. God wants to bless a thousand generations after us. He wants to bless us to a thousand. Can you even imagine? So praise God. The opposite of all of this idolatry is our love for God. And we base that on the fact that he loves us. We love him because he first loved us. And he is worthy of that adoration. We finish on Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, which is the positive side of this commandment. You shall love the Lord your God, and this is the greatest commandment, with all your heart and with all your soul and with your, all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. So Jesus is summarizing the first commandment and first two, no gods, no idols, on the positive side. The answer to this is to love God. So if there's any area in our life that we feel is not happening, the answer is not to say, no, 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 no. The answer is yes, 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 more of God. Fill up with him and he'll, that love that we have for him will negate everything else. It'll be just like not interested. Praise God. So come on, let's make that decision this morning. We are people who love God first and foremost because he is worthy. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.